Well, good morning again. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson. I uh, think I still work here. I, I lost, I don't have a name to, just, I didn't lose it. Someone just didn't bring it. Maybe they thought I was going to be sick again, but it's so good to be here today. And specifically, it's good to be like right here with God's word and God's spirit and God's community. So I'm, I'm thankful to be here and I'm thankful that you're here and we have, are starting a new series this week, and we'll get to that in a minute. But if you're new, welcome. If you're not new, welcome. If you're looking for hope or healing or help or a spiritual home, I pray that you would find it today. God is always speaking, and it's sometimes when we just stop and listen that we finally hear him. So, As we get started, football season is upon us, fall is upon us, and and that means homecomings are upon us too. And so it reminded me this week that those pep fests, you remember those from high school, you know, the ones where you'd have to out cheer your other grades and they'd put you in there and most of the time it was like, yes, we just get out of another class or they shorten all the periods so it's a little less torture, No, no offense teachers, I'm just trying to think back on my inner high school you know, student, but there, the cheers would go some, one of my favorite cheers was that one, like, we got spirit, yes, we do, we got spirit, how about you? And then we'd have to sh- shout across the room, and then some other grade that was opposite us would yell it, and they would often out-yell us. But it just got me thinking, like, hmm, I wonder if we should do that at church. Maybe it was that, that picture that I saw last week that somebody tagged me in, uh, uh, that you should be more excited about church than football, so the next time your pastor makes a really good point, pour Gatorade on his head. I was really glad I wasn't speaking last week. But, you know, okay, if we're going to pour Gatorade on the heads, then maybe we should do some cheers about, you know, we got the spirit, yes we do, we got the spirit, how about you? And it might remind us that the spirit is not some enthusiasm we're supposed to have, the spirit is not some feeling we're supposed to have, but the spirit is the presence of God in our midst and in us if we've said yes to Jesus. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of people, a lot of people that love Jesus that, that don't have the spirit. You know, when I started thinking more about this in preparation, I, I realized that I can't remember ever hearing about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, as he's sometimes called, when I think back about growing up in church. It wasn't actually until I was about 16 or 17 years old that I even remember wondering about the Holy Ghost. I was, in high school, I was a lifeguard as my part-time job, and I remember my boss calling me and saying, hey, you need to come in 45 minutes early because some holy rollers have rented the pool and they're going to do this baptism. And I'm like, well, that's weird because all you have to do is scoop the little water and pour it on the baby's head and then it's, it's good. I'm not trying to, you know, be sacrilegious about it, but that was the only experience I had of baptism. And so when I came in to the pool deck, I saw 40 or 50 people all dressed in what you'd imagine people in the 80s or 90s wearing to church. 
And they were standing there fully dressed, shoes on, you know, like they were going to go to church. They were just standing on the pool deck. And then there was some talking, and then there was a little bit of preaching, I think, and then there was some praying. And, and the praying was kind of weird because when the praying started, like one person started praying, but then somebody else started praying, and then somebody else at the same time, all of a sudden these people are all praying. There's lots of hallelujahs and lots of amens, and I was just, it was becoming a little bit weirder and a little bit weirder and a little bit weirder. And then, like, 10 people or so got baptized, two or three at a time. They went down in the water, didn't even take their shoes off, just went down in the water, fully dressed, and then went all the way under the water and then came all the way back up. And every time someone came up, there was clapping and there was hallelujahs and there was praying. And that was, I had no idea where to fit that in my mind. But that was my first Holy Ghost experience. And then I I just spent the rest of my my life, or the rest of those years, wondering what that meant, how that fit into my grid about God and about church, and, and really, truly set me on a course of seeking God. But it started with this idea that the Holy Spirit was really more like a ghost story. So the whole reason for this Holy Ghost series is that we'll be looking at exactly who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, that he's a he and not an it, and how we can be more in tune with the Spirit in our everyday life. I mean, Jesus called his followers to this Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered, and and Spirit-equipped life of victory that pleases the Father. And when I read the scriptures, I see people living that life. And when I read the Old Testament, I see the Holy Spirit descending on someone, and when the Holy Spirit descends on them, they're given supernatural gifts. They're given a supernatural power to live this supernatural life in this very, very natural world. And they, from that place of having the Holy Spirit on them, they respond in situations out of self-control. They respond out of peace. They respond with patience. They respond with kindness. They respond with goodness. They respond with this supernatural experience. Have you been around someone who lives that kind of Christian life? Have you had someone else say that about you. There have been moments in my life where I could say, absolutely, yeah. I have felt spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led, spirit-equipped, and it felt like this life of victory. And I think others were blessed through it. And there have also been times where I haven't sensed the spirits leading, equipping, guiding, or empowering It's a whole lot of me, and it's not a life of victory. It's a life of average, or a life of defeat, or a life of insecurity. It's a life where a lot less people around me are blessed. And so, as we come to to this first kind of this first talk in the series, I was just asking God how to lead and guide this, and there's so many places that God talks about the Spirit. It's referenced, the Spirit's referenced over 800 times in Scripture. And I think there's actually 
a few barriers to people living this spirit-filled life. I think a lot of people actually live a spirit-less life. And they're no different from the people who, who don't know Jesus. I mean, they struggle with the same kinds of sins as people who don't know Jesus. Their prayers are basic and kind of flat. They, they grapple with anxiety, fear, insecurity, and worry. They believe in Jesus, and yet they don't have a power in their life. And maybe you might be thinking that they sounds a whole lot like you. And that's okay, I've been there too. But I'm convinced it's because we are not living in the power of the Spirit. So I think there's two huge barriers to living this Spirit-filled life. And the first might be obvious, but I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid hearing that God was my father. And that made sense to me, because I had a father. And though he wasn't always godly or godlike, I could understand God being a father, God protecting or God guiding or God speaking truth to me, sometimes God disciplining me. And so that was an easy picture for me. And then when we did go to church, I remember hearing an awful lot about Jesus being God's son. And I was a son, so that was helpful. And we got lots of stories that seemed very concrete about Jesus being God's son. And there were two stained glass murals on either side of the the sanctuary. One had Jesus having this perfect white lamb around his shoulders walking in a field, and the other had Jesus with just kind of an ordinary robe and knocking at a door. And I remember seeing that and saying, okay, Jesus as a human, yeah, I could see him being God's son. But I had no pictures and no images and no frames of reference for God being the spirit. I didn't have any pictures for that. I didn't have any frames for that. I just didn't know what God's Holy Ghost was all about. And I think that's the first reason that some of us don't live the spirit-filled life. So if you're taking notes, you might want to take that down, is what does it mean to be unaware of the spirit? Well, maybe it means that, that you've heard of the spirit, but you don't really know about him, or you've always thought of him as an it, like this life force, kind of akin to you know, the force in Star Wars. And, and certainly, God's creative spirit is a force of life, but we'll get there in a moment. But your, your experience would be similar to Acts 19. Acts 19 isn't our main passage today, but it does provide this frame of reference for when the apostle Paul, who became a believer in Jesus, was going through and doing these mission trips and sharing the gospel, the good news about the story of Jesus. And he reaches in Acts 19, verses one and two, when it says, when Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took this road on the inside, not the coastal road, through the interior. He arrives at this city called Ephesus, would be a lot like a modern day New York. And he found some disciples, people who believed and followed Jesus, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, these people probably weren't at Pentecost. They didn't see this spirit descend. They didn't hear about the wind in the upper room. They didn't see Peter preaching. They had heard about Jesus. They may have actually witnessed John the Baptist or John the Baptist's disciples preaching. They had heard about his call to repentance, his call to Jesus, but they didn't hear about the spirit. When Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They say, no. 
We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We know about Jesus. We know about John the Baptist. We don't know anything about the Spirit. And maybe you're in a similar spot today. Maybe if, you know, you just got really honest, say, well, I guess I'm aware of the fact that there's a Holy Spirit, but I don't really know who he is, where he is, what he does, or the power that's available through him. And if that's you, I would just encourage you that I was in that place too. And so a great place to go is Genesis 1. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go to Genesis 1. Plus, it's the first book of the Bible, so it's super easy to find. So sometimes when I'm with students, I'll ask them about, you know, the beginning. Because Genesis 1 does talk about the beginning. Genesis means beginnings. And where was God before the beginning? And where was God in the beginning? It says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but what was before that? Genesis 1-2 tells us. Now the earth was formless and void, or formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So where's God in the beginning? This, you, can, you can answer. It's not rhetorical. He was hovering. Where was he hovering? Over the waters. Now, I don't know about you, but I often think of going to the lake or maybe I think of the ocean. But the, the scholar and pastor Eugene Peterson says it like this in the message. The earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. And God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. And all of a sudden, my pictures of lakes and my pictures of oceans have just been shattered. Because I don't know how to do inky blackness. I don't know what a soup of nothingness is. But all of a sudden, like, the memory of being 10 and telling, my parents telling me you shouldn't watch Jaws surfaces. <laughs> like, dark water scary, chaotic. I got to be with some people studying this, and, and the Hebrew phrase for this empty and void is tovu vavohu. Isn't that fun to say? You can say it with me if you want. Tovu vavohu. Even the consonants kind of swirl like, like when leaves enter a corner of two buildings that are really tall, and they just at, you know, endlessly never, ever, ever land. They just swirl. They go up and they go down, but they never actually hit the ground. That's what I picture when I think of tovu vavohu, and that's actually a very good picture. The words mean chaos. The words mean unpredictable. The words mean this pulsating energy, but it's mysterious. It's dark. It's powerful. It's this rawness to pre-creation that we can't see or certainly can't control. It's kind of scary. My friend Steve wrote about this, and he says, actually, that tovu vavohu is not something that's just an event at pre-creation, 
but God is giving this tovu vavohu description to describe any dark, empty, or scary place in our life where we can't see, we can't feel, or we don't know. So tovu vavohu is when the doctor says, it's cancer. And all you hear is the word bouncing around the room. It can't filter into your ears yet. Tovu vavohu is when you hear your grandkid somehow got salmonella and now her kidneys are shutting down and she's in ICU and you're praying for her. That's Tovu Vavohu. Tovu Vavohu is a Tuesday morning when you get the email that says you've been cut in the second round of layoffs and your water heater just broke on Monday. Tovu Vavohu is when you're sitting at home with trembling hands and a spinning head and you're asking yourself, can I stay? Will he do it again? Tovu Vavohu is finally getting that promotion that you so desperately wanted, that you've been working so hard for. And as you sit in the corner office, instead of tasting sweetness, there's this bitter ash in your mouth as you stare at your empty room and your empty relationships and your empty soul. Tovu Vavohu is finding yourself in the dark when all you want to do is be in the light. And the Tovu Vavohu is so powerful that we can't fight it. It's too dark for us to see in it and it's too mysterious for us to find our way out. And the lie in the tovu vavohu is that you are alone. Except what does verse two say? The spirit of God is there hovering over that place. That God is so close and he is just waiting there in the chaotic darkness with us in the Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach, and in the New Testament, it is pneuma. Both words mean wind or breath, but don't think like, think this blast of breath. It's a powerful breath. It is the breath that God breathes into the human in Genesis 2-7, and, and the human becomes a living being. That is the, the pneuma or the ruach in there. That when you hear the ruach in the Old Testament, the ruach, the spirit is always moving like the wind is always moving. The spirit is creating life in places where there wasn't life. The spirit is always active, always present. In fact, the psalmist says it just beautifully in Psalm 104. It says, if you turned your back, the spirit of God, if you left us, we would die in a minute. Take back your spirit and they die. Revert to original mud. But if you send your spirit out, they spring to life the whole countryside in bloom and blossom. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, if I go up to the highest points, you're there. If I go to the darkest depths, you're there. See, the Holy Spirit is powerful and the Holy Spirit is life-giving and he is present even when we aren't aware of him. 
So if you haven't, if you feel like, yeah, that's me, that's the barrier. I, I really don't, I'm not aware of this spirit. Well, he is with you. He is near. No matter how dark, how inky, how chaotic your life is right now, Holy Spirit's with you, hovering over you, just waiting for the voice of God to say, come into the light. Because out of the darkness, God calls light. And he will shine away. He always does. And there are some of you that are in confusing and dark and chaotic places. I just want you to know that God is there. And I pray that that would bring comfort to you. Jesus calls the Spirit a comforter. And he says, actually, to his disciples at the end of its life, at the end of his life, it's better if I go. Because if I go, then the spirit, the comforter, the advocate will be with you always. You know, I often think if I had just a real human Jesus with me all the time, that would be great. That would be amazing. And yet, the spirit of God is with me all the time and he can be with all of you at all times because he is everywhere. Jesus had to be contained in one body. Jesus had to, could only be in one place at one time. The Spirit can be everywhere. And he's with you now. So the first barrier is just an unawareness. But the second barrier is, is for those people who would say, you know what? I am aware of the Spirit, and my situation doesn't seem very dark. doesn't seem very chaotic. But... You know, if you were honest, you would say, I don't really have this spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led life of victory that Jesus says is possible, and then he lived. Well, then I'd say, let's turn to John 3, because on our remaining minutes, we'll look at this passage, and we'll see how it reveals this second huge barrier to this spirit-filled life with Jesus. John chapter three is an encounter of Jesus being this religious teacher with another religious teacher. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter their mother's womb a second time and be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised with me saying that you should be born again or born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is, where it comes from, or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and what we have seen, but still you don't believe us. You do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then 
will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus actually references Nicodemus as Israel's teacher, the teacher of Israel. It's one thing to be a teacher of Israel. It's another thing to be the teacher of Israel. And when two rabbis would meet, they would debate, not because they didn't like each other, but just that was the way that they would discuss things, that would be the way that they would bring new things to light, and the superior teacher would have a way of leading and guiding the conversation. You can often tell by how much one would speak. In fact, if you're a math person, maybe you want to count the number of words that Nicodemus says at the beginning of his opening phrase to Jesus. Jesus' response is much shorter than Nicodemus's. But then as the story continues, you'll see how much the dialogue changes. In fact, Jesus says three times you must be born again or born from above. In one of them, he references being born of water and the spirit. Now, Nicodemus should know that that's a reference to Ezekiel 36. If you don't know that, that's okay. I didn't either. But Ezekiel 36 talks about, remember, when they were in exile, when God's people were in exile, Ezekiel said, you know, one day God will come and he will sprinkle clean water on you and you people will be clean. One day, God's spirit will come upon you and give you a new heart and replace your stubborn heart or your heart of stone and he will give you this heart that's soft that can respond to him. And so when Jesus is talking about being born again, he is talking about being born of water and of spirit that would give someone a soft heart that they could respond to God. And so Nicodemus's Ignorance, I would even say, is kind of surprising for someone who is so intelligent. And if you did some counting, you'll see there's, I mean, maybe not exact because of the translation, but Nicodemus' opening address to Jesus has 29 words in it. Jesus' response has, think about nine. But as they continue, his second response only has nine words. And Nicodemus' last response is simply a four-word question. How can this be? And then he stops talking after Jesus references the wind as God's spirit. Now, what do you know about wind? You can feel the wind. What else do we know about the wind? You can hear it. How do you hear the wind? Through stuff. Anybody know what stuff might be? Leaves, sure. Yeah, it's going to be fall. Some of us get sad at fall because all the leaves fall off. But, you know, when they get just a little red or just a little brown, they're just a little crisp, but they're still very strong to be on the tree. I love when the wind blows through those things and you hear the rustling and you can sometimes even tell the difference. I can at least between some of those trees. That's fun for me because otherwise they're just green. They're either Deciduous, see, fancy word, or evergreens. Uh-huh. That's broadleaf and pine to the layman. <laughs> but I love, 
getting to hear the wind through the trees. Let's not get distracted with trees. The point's the wind. What else do we know about the wind? It's powerful. Yeah, sometimes the wind is a little breeze, but sometimes the wind is like a destructive tornado. Yeah, what else might we know? It's constant. There's always wind everywhere on earth. Even if we don't have wind today, there is always wind. It's always moving. You can't see it. Can't be contained. It comes from, we don't know where it comes from. I mean, it could be from the north one day, from the south the next, from the east, especially in Minnesota. Gotta love our weather. You don't like it, just wait till tomorrow. We have no control over the wind. We can't see it. We can't tell it what to do. We can't really understand it all that well. And for some of us, especially the older we get, that's frustrating. Because I think the second barrier to a spirit-filled life is that some people want control more than they want the Holy Spirit. I would say that Nicodemus is in this case. He's part of the religious political leadership, which has influence, power, and control. As a rabbi, he's a spiritual guide. He gets to help people find God. He gets to explain God, explain God's laws. There's certainly an influence and a control in that. I mean, he's got intelligence. Some would even call him enlightened. And yet, he came to Jesus in the dark. John wants you to pick that up. And as a Pharisee, he gets to tell people that the way to God is to do these correct things and believe these correct things. Control. And when Jesus says the Holy Spirit's like the wind, he means he's sovereign. He means he is free to do whatever he wants. It means that the Holy Spirit is unpredictable and uncontrollable. And I think Nicodemus stops his contributions to the conversation because he has to decide, do I really want him, the Holy Spirit, if I can't control him? And maybe you're in that place too. Do I really want the Holy Spirit in my life if I can't control the Holy Spirit? Because I guarantee you, the Holy Spirit will lead you to places that you don't want to go and lead you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. The Holy Spirit is God's way of coming into us and making us the people that he created us to be. And the older we get and the smarter we get, the more painful the chiseling process can become of taking those things that we've put on us to make ourselves more presentable that were not actually what he intended for us. And so he's got to chisel away the pride. He's got to chisel away the certainty. He's got to chisel away the selfishness. He's got to chisel away the fears and the sins and all these things that we've put on us. And yet James tells us that when those things come our way, we should consider it an opportunity for joy. Because when our faith is under pressure, it will be brought out, it will be cooked, it will be purified, it will be made holy, it will be made mature. And the Spirit of God will certainly lead us to the cross, just as the Spirit of God led Jesus to the cross. And the cross isn't comfortable, 
And the cross isn't safe. And the cross certainly isn't nice. But the cross is where Jesus was validated and Jesus was vindicated and Jesus makes our freedom possible. And he unleashes the power of the spirit so that we can now have Jesus in us. That we can do these things that he said would be greater than what he has done. That's what the Spirit can do in our lives. That is what he's calling out to us. And when we say yes to him, which means surrendering our control, that's when we find true life. For Jesus says in one of the most famous verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come to convict the world or condemn the world, but to save the world. And he continues though, this is the verdict, the light, Jesus, has come into the darkness. And some people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. That word evil, as we wrap up, is actually the same word about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which at the time just seemed like a fruit that someone could take because God was limiting them. really wasn't bad, but it was selfish. It was prideful. They did doubt God's goodness. And it's the same thinking here. Light has come into the world But people love darkness instead of the light because they wanted to have control of their actions. So you might not see it as evil, but God invites us to this relationship with him where through the power of his spirit we surrender to him and we find life. And when we do, amazing things happen. Creative powerful, life-giving things. Suddenly, your words have the power to bring life to other people. Your words about Jesus have the power to help someone else move from darkness to light, from death to eternity. And it is an amazing adventure, and you are invited to it. But you have to ask, do you really want him? You pray with me. Spirit, I think you are calling out to us today. Not just through this moment and feeling, but through your word and through your songs, that you are calling out to us that you are close, that you love us, that we need you. But God, to say yes to you is to surrender to you. It's to confront the question What are we truly afraid of if we ask the Holy Spirit to take over and take control and lead our lives? I pray, God, as we respond in prayer and song that we would pray that question to you right now. Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Holy Ghost, show me what I am truly afraid of to surrender my life to you, to let you take over, to lead my life. 
And in that, God, show me how I really do want you. I can't do it on my own. It doesn't work when I'm in control. But to fully surrender, God, that scares me. Spirit of God, show us why. And show us that you're close. Show us that you'll never leave us. In Jesus' name, amen.